You know, we've been going through um, the, uh, the series on the book of Acts, and now we are coming to the end of it, uh, towards the end of it. And it's been pretty cool. Uh, the book of Acts is, is an interesting book because what it does is it really shows a, a top-down perspective. In the beginning, it talks about the early church. And so for us, at least in the beginning of Acts, we've talked about how that connects to Shining Star Community Church, how we as a church can follow in the footsteps of the early church. But then as time goes on and as the chapters progress, what happens is that that top-down perspective gets a little bit narrower and it starts to focus on individual people. And now we've come to the point where we are following the life of Paul and we are seeing his character, we're seeing the things he's gone through, and we're seeing how can we follow in his footsteps. Because Not because Paul is simply a great man by himself, but because he follows in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And so the question for us is, what does authentic Christianity look like? And how can we follow in that? You know, for, for me, one of my favorite images of Jesus is in Matthew 8, where he is uh, on a boat, and he's with the disciples, and uh, they're crossing to the other side. And all of a sudden, it says this huge storm comes up, and the winds are breaking into the boat. Things are going all into chaos. The disciples think that they're going to die, and yet it says that Jesus was sleeping on a cushion. And so the disciples, in their fear, they wake up Jesus and say, don't you care about what's happening? Don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus, he wakes up, and he goes to the front of the boat, and he simply says, be quiet, be still. And the winds and the waves obeyed him. Even in the middle of the storm, See, what we see is that there is so much chaos around him, and yet Jesus is in complete peace and is in complete calm. The reason I bring up that passage is because in this one, we have something similar happening, but it's happening to Paul. You see, Paul had been arrested for preaching the gospel, and he was being transported to Rome by ship. But on the way there, there was this huge storm that arose. And it arose for multiple days. And it was so bad that all of those on board had lost hope and resigned themselves to die. But right in the midst of it, what we see is Paul, who is calm, who is collected, and he tells others to have courage and to have faith. What an interesting sight that is. Paul, who was a prisoner, was the one encouraging and giving support to the people who were guarding him. You see, scholars, they say that there are two main reasons that Luke would include this story in the book of Acts. The first is pretty simple, is that it actually happened. You see, Luke, he was in the boat along with Paul, and they were going together, and so it would make sense that he would record what was happening. But the second reason is that back then, there was a very clear connection between how they viewed the storms at sea 
and how they viewed the hardships of life. That the storms at sea was a very clear and obvious representation of the hardships that one would face in life. And so Luke, what we see here, is trying to connect those two things for the audience back then and for us today. You see, Luke, he's connecting the dots because he's telling us that this isn't just a simple historical event that's happening. It's a story meant to represent the storms of our own lives. And if that's the case, then the question that Luke is trying to answer for us is simply, how do we get through the storms? How are we able to stay calm and collected like Paul, like Jesus? Now, for such a a big and profound question, we can't possibly answer it fully today. But in this passage, what Paul does show us are two ways that we can get through the difficulties of life. What Paul shows us is that he believes in two things so strongly that it gives him calm and it gives him peace even when it seems like everything else is falling apart. Those two things are the promises of God and that Paul knew that he belonged to him. First is the promises of God and second is that he knew he belonged to him. You see, what we know at this point is that Paul is at the end of his missionary journeys. He had been traveling to all of these different cities. He had been preaching the gospel. And now we've come to pretty much the end of that story, end of his journeys where he is much older and much weaker, much sicker. We know this because in verse 3, the centurion in charge of Paul, it says that he lets him rest before the long journey. It says that Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Now that's a very strange thing. You would not expect a prisoner to be let go to his friends and be cared for. But for Paul, what we know is that he was very sick and he needed rest before the long journey. That word cared for is a medical term. It has to do with medical care. And all it says is that Paul was really sick because of all the beatings, because of all the imprisonment, because of all the things that he had gone through. And so before the long journey on the boat, he needed some rest. He needed to be cared for. Now, after Paul rests for a bit, they head out into the sea. And it says that a wind called a northeaster struck them. Now, this doesn't have to do anything with Easter. It has to do with another word that's called a typhoon. Northeaster is simply a cyclone or or a typhoon or, or huge storm that happens at sea. So this large typhoon ends up hitting the boat. And it was so large and it was so powerful that it says in verse 20 that for several days, They could not see the sun, and they could not see the stars, and therefore all of their hope of being saved was at last abandoned. Now, what's remarkable is not the storm. What's remarkable is not the typhoon. What's remarkable is that in the middle of this, Paul gets up and he says these words 
take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. He is calm in the storm, and he encourages those around him, even though he is going through the exact same thing. He is able to have peace, even though his situation is the exact same as everybody else. And the reason why, church, Paul was able to stay calm was because God had promised Paul that he would take him to Rome. The reason why Paul was able to stay calm was because he trusted in God's promise to Paul that he would fulfill what he had said he would do for Paul. Verse 24 says, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. You see, a few chapters back, we didn't read this, but in Acts 23, 11, God, he tells Paul, look, I am going to take you to Rome. He says that. He says, look, Paul, I'm going to, no matter what, I'm going to bring you to Rome because there is a work that you need to do there that is unfulfilled, and so just don't worry, I am going to take you there. And so for two years, since that chapter, up until now when he is going to Rome, Paul is unfazed. He doesn't blink twice because he knows that he can trust in the promise of God that God told them that he would get to Rome. You know, it's interesting, when you read Acts 23, 11, Paul, he tells the sailors, almost the exact same thing that God tells him. The following night in Acts 23, 11, it says, the Lord stood by him and said, take heart, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Verse 25, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Paul is almost saying to the sailors exactly what God had told Paul before. You see, for Paul, it didn't matter how terrible the situation was in front of him. He knew that God's promise was greater and more steadfast than those things. And church, this is how Paul gets through his life with that calm and with that peace. It wasn't because he had a lesser amount of storms. We know that. We know he didn't. We know that he may have gone through more than almost anyone else. It was because he had a greater amount of faith in the promises of God within those storms. It was because his conviction and what God was telling him was just simply greater than the difficulties that he was facing within, his, within the storms. And that is the danger of storms within our lives. Because what Satan will always try to do when we are going through difficulties is help us forget what God has told us before. And yet one thing that we have to always remember is what God always says in the Bible. He says, remember what I've told you. Remember that I love you. Remember the promises that I have given you. He's saying that over and over again, not because those are just empty words that he's saying. It's because for us, the easiest thing that will happen in times of hardship is for us to forget. It's for us to forget how good God is, is to forget his character, is to, is to forget that he is in control of all things, is to forget that even in the midst of the storm, he is sleeping because he is so in control of everything. That is the God that we worship 
that is on our side. You see, for Paul, he understood that to a point. He understood that so deeply. And it's why even in the midst of his difficulties, he was able to have peace. So church, I want you to understand something. For us as people, we make promises all the time. But the promises made between people, they more often than not break. We know that. We know that they break maybe because what we do on purpose, maybe we're trying to betray someone, but more often than not, sometimes it just breaks due to circumstance, due to life. Because we are broken and because the world is broken and so our promises in general, even though we try our best to keep them, they break also. And so it makes sense for us not to trust in the promises of anyone. And it makes sense for us to simply seclude ourselves and to break off any kind of connection with other people and say, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to live my own life. I'm not going to invest or commit or, or promise anything to anybody. And yet, here's the, here's the catch, church. The quality of our lives is dependent on how much we're willing to trust in other people's promises. The quality of our lives is dependent on how much we're willing to commit and go deep into any other promise. Let me tell you what I mean. David Brooks, who's this famous writer uh, for the New York Times, he mentioned that if you want to make it through life, you have to commit to promises. He says that if you want to make something of yourself, it's not about keeping all of your options open. It's not about trying to keep your own personal freedom. It's not about trying to dabble in one thing and then take a foot back or dabble in this other thing and, and keep, your, keep your feet on either side of the fence. He says the key to making it in life, the key to finding success is finding what is important in life and to make promises to devote yourself completely to it. He says those are the people who find true satisfaction within their lives. He says, the big thing that I learned recently is that if you spend your years keeping your options open, you will lead an impotent and fragmented life. You will wander about aimlessly with your changeable heart, and life will be a series of temporary moments. You will never be all in for anyone or any path because your eyes will always be wandering to some other possibilities. You will waste your life. Church, I believe this so much. I think that this is so true. I think innately, too, we kind of understand this. Any husband who is only half into their marriage, that's not a healthy marriage. Any worker who is only half into their job, they're never going to find success in their job. In order to make the most of your life, you have to go all in on some promises. Because if you're a bystander on your life, if you're a bystander in some of the things that are in your life, you have wasted it. But here's the key to that. The strength of the promise is correlated to the trustworthiness of the one who is giving the promise, right? The one who gives the promise if they're trustworthy, 
If they're strong, if you can trust their character, then you know that their promise is something that is strong as well. Their promise is something that can be trustworthy as well. That's why we're never going to believe in a promise of a liar. That's why we're never going to believe in a promise of a hypocrite. But here's the thing. No matter how trustworthy someone may seem, we are all broken people living in a broken world. And because of that, all promises in this life are broken as well. No matter how much we try to go all in, no matter how much we try to invest everything into that promise that we can devote ourselves into, whatever it is will one day break. But church, here's the beautiful thing. And here's the great thing for you and me. It's that there's a person whose promise is perfect. And the reason his promise is perfect is because he is unchanging. It's because he is all-knowing and because he loves us. He gives you the greatest promise of your life and you can fully trust in them because his character and because he is fully in control and because he loves us. That person is Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior. Out of all the other promises in this world, his promise is sure. His promise has not changed since the very beginning, and it's not going to change, not until the end. And that's where Paul's confidence came from. You see, I believe that Paul, he was scared of the storm. How can anyone not be? But his confidence in God's promise was greater than his fear of the storm around him. And that's why he was able to have peace. Church, do you trust in the promises of God in your life? Do you trust in the promises of God more than the storms that are swirling around in your life? God, he promises us so many things within the Bible. He promises us eternal life to those who believe in him. He promises a new heart and complete forgiveness to those who confess to him. He promises the fruit of the Holy Spirit that you will grow in peace and patience and love for each other. He promises that he will supply all of your needs according to his perfect plan. God, he promises you peace. He promises you his protection. He promises those things. Church, trust in those promises and be strong in the storm. You see, Paul, he trusted in the promise that God gave him, but he also knew that he belonged to God. I'm just going to briefly touch on this. Verse 23 says, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. You know, when you take a second to read that, you realize that Paul, he's speaking about something really, really intimate. It's supposed to be intimate because Paul, he's using something called covenant language. We see this in the Old Testament quite a lot when God is speaking to the Israelites, and he says something that would have confused a lot of people back then. He, he said, oh, you are my people, and I am your God. 
I will always be your God. You will always be my people. It's a promise of commitment through the good times and the bad. It was a word that would be used in marriages to say, I'm going to be with you forever. I am your family. Nothing is going to break us. You are mine and I am yours. God is telling the Israelites that they are family, that they belong to him. Church, I want to remind you something, that when we enter into his family, God is giving us something that we desperately need. He is giving us something that we not only want, but that is filling a piece of our hearts. We belong to him. You see, psychologists who specialize in child trauma say that children who don't experience a family life when they're young have a fundamental inability to attach to others when they're older. They say that life is much harder when you don't belong to anyone when you're younger. But one of God's promises, one of his promises is that when you believe in him, you are no longer slaves to sin. You are no longer aliens in a foreign country. You are sons of his, that you belong to his family, that when he looks at you, he looks at you in the same way that he looked at the Israelites and said, look, I am your father. You are my son. You belong to me. You are part of my family. See, church, that's a a promise given to us. You don't need to belong to some other place. Maybe some of you have grown up in unstable or, or broken homes. That's okay. When you believe in God, when you believe in Jesus Christ, he is giving you belonging in his family. You are now his sons. You are now his daughters. In church, the way that we find true belonging is if we understand something fundamental to our faith in, as Christians. And it's that Jesus Christ was completely and absolutely forsaken and abandoned on our behalf. He was absolutely forsaken. He was completely abandoned so that we could belong in his place. So that when God looks down on us, when God, when he, God looks down at us, He sees us as his family. He sees us as his sons, as his daughters, in replacement of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful story of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. It was because of his ultimate death and the resurrection that he gives us an intimate and complete relationship with God. So church, be strong in your life. Be strong in the storms of whatever you're going through. And trust in these two things, the promises of God and that you belong to him. Let's pray.